for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at tntradio.live. Patrick Henningsen and TNT. And welcome back to the Patrick Henningsen Show with me, Basil Valentine, in for Patrick. Today, Friday, the 9th of February, 2024. Well, it happened. 50 years ago, it was Frost Nixon. This time round, it's Tucker Putin. The big interview, two hours, including a full half-hour lecture on the history of Russia and the Ukraine from Vladimir Putin, who, for the most part, came across as being really rather affable, um, much to the irritation of the warhawks and stenographers in Washington and London who have been doing their best to demonize him and paint him as some kind of modern version of Adolf Hitler in the last couple of years. So Tucker did, a, I thought, largely a very good job. He got some interesting sound bites out of Putin, who uh, some observers have said at one point might have appeared to have regretted the uh, invasion of Ukraine. He certainly didn't seem all that enthusiastic about it. He seemed rather sad that it had ever happened. Though, of course, he was happy to lay the blame uh, at the door of the West. Joining me now to unpack, Tucker Putin is Swedish geopolitical analyst and TNT contributor, Mats Nielsen. Welcome to the programme, Mats. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. So uh, was it the epoch-defining conversation that might change the course of world history? Or was it just uh, a once great uh, American cable news host trying to resurrect his career on the X platform with a failed dictator? Or does the truth lie somewhere between the two, Mats? Well, as, as, as always with me, I'm going to answer that uh, it's somewhere between the two. Uh, I always try to move in the gray areas. There is seldom anything that's black and white in, in geopolitics. And uh, as for this speech, there are so many threads to begin and uh, end with. But uh, I might actually begin contemplating the fact that Putin brought up Novgorod and Rurik and uh, Swedish Varangian Vikings from Roslagen in, in his speech. And, and being a legal historian who has actually studied the birch bark manuscripts of Nov Novgorod, I felt quite happy because I, I, I felt at ease listening to this. And uh, it, of course, it was a history lesson. And, uh, but I think it was a much needed history lesson. You, 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 can, you, can, always, you can always debate if... if uh, the history was correct. Uh, perhaps uh, uh, this it wasn't Rurik from the primary chronicle. Uh, per perhaps it was uh, Oleg and Dir and Askold from the Novgorod First Chronicle that founded Russia. I mean, but these are details. The important thing is that Putin presented a, a, a narrative that um, that can be dissected and um, discussed. Uh, which is uh, which makes for 
it puts pressure on the Western acad- academica to actually come up with answers to Putin's statements, uh, and they they need to um, they need to do so. I mean, for example, when when Putin says that Ukraine is an artificial state and that was shaped at the hands of Joseph Stalin, which Putin admitted what was was a man who didn't uh, do much good for for the greater. Uh, good of humanity it's uh, I saw that one professor actually said that in a sense Putin is correct the Soviet leadership drew up the borders of the Soviet Republic almost like the western colonial powers did and uh, this the BBC actually writing uh, on their webpage that uh, in a sense Putin is correct uh, that's even the history lesson uh, somehow tells people in the West that there is a bit of truth in what Putin tells us. Uh, but but leaving leaving Novgorod aside, and if we concentrate on the effects of the speech as such, I don't think, given the news cycle in the West, I don't think this is going to leave a impression. Uh, that's going to last. That said, not in the West. However, I have noticed that in China and in India, there have been quite a lot of hits on Weibo, for example, on the Putin speech. The Putin speech is widely discussed in China, especially in light of that it was just one or two days ago that Putin and uh, uh, she jointly uh, made a statement uh, concerning the new closer relationship between Russia and China when Putin congratulated China on the Lunar New Year. So I think that uh, the Chinese are the ones looking at where is Russia going with this? Uh, because tr- as you know, traditionally, Russia has been uh, hasn't been a really close ally to China. It's actually the West that has more or less pushed uh, Russia in into China's uh, sphere of cooperation. And uh, in in the speech, uh, Putin said that. Um, let's see what what did he say? Uh, just drawing from memory here, he said something about Russia has. Uh, uh, 150 million people and China has 1.5 billion and its economy is growing fast or by leaps and bounds I think he said 5% per year so somehow Putin was actually warning Tucker in the interview about the power of China now you could interpret mm-hmm. this as Russia or Putin once again extending extending a hand towards the West saying are you sure you really want to distance yourself from Russia? Are you sure you want Russia in the influ- in, in the with together with the Chinese? Or it's just or Putin was just a making a statement of facts that China's potential is enormous and the West now has to live with the mistake it's already made. I, I'm not. I'm not certain one way or the other what, what this uh, what he means. But if if the West were smart, they could take it as an interpretation. Wow, we best take 
this invitation and start negotiating a peace deal with Russia. Uh, obviously, it's not really plausible, but it's just uh, one interesting, one of many interesting takeaways fr from this uh, this interview. Um, um, Putin also pointedly said that uh, China always seeks compromise. He said uh, yes. his whole yes. tone of voice and body language changed when he started talking about China um, and uh, how they generally sought to avoid confrontation, uh, I think he said. Yeah. Um, the reaction from Western Europe has been perhaps predictable. Janice Klug, who claims to be an expert on the Russian economy with the German Institute for International and Security Affairs, says that she overestimated Tucker Carlson. He really does look incredibly naive at many points in the conversation. Putin runs circles around him and gives lectures that are mostly really, really boring. I think uh, Tucker's disingenuousness, that's part of his whole interviewing style. He aims to come across as this sort of rather folksy, American honest broker without preconceptions who sort of treats people as he finds them and gives them a chance to speak, uh, which he did. I think he was obviously in awe of Putin to some extent. I mean, there he is sat with this, you know, incredibly powerful world figure. Um, and not all that long ago, he was making tea at MSNBC. So, you know, um, but uh, I think it's unfair to say that uh, Putin ran circles around him. That's a typical, or dare I say, now typical uh, German attitude that by allowing Putin to express himself, you're somehow allowing him to run circles around you. I think a lot of Western commentators are are just deep down slightly envious of the fact that Russia has a leader that is very knowledgeable. I doubt that many Western leaders could sit down and have this level of discussion for two over two hours with any journalist giving these lessons and giving these backgrounds and be, being able to draw all these conclusions from history, from current affairs, from culture. Uh, I mean, just it, it's it, it's slightly comical, or, or should I say, farcical, that Biden uh, just <clears throat> earlier today made his uh, by now already infamous press conference, where he tried to tell the journalists that they were being silly, uh, claiming he had suffered from dementia, and then he suddenly called uh, called the Mexican president sissy. Uh, it's it's you can't really compare them and and i think it just proved putin's point uh, that america isn't really run anymore by its uh its own uh president it's uh, the uh, uh, oh help me out here if you will there was a um, part about Caucasus. Now I remember. Yes, I, I am back on track. There was a part in the interview where Putin said that uh, there, 
there was a time when he talked to the American president and he asked the American president, please back off from supporting uh, groups within the Caucasus that you both you and I know are only there to cause trouble and mayhem and havoc. And Putin said that the US president, I'm guessing this was Bush, he said, my God, do you have any proof for this? And Putin said, yes, I do. I, I, I can present this to you as he did. And the president said, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a talk. I'm going to have a solid talk uh, with, with uh, my uh, people. And then Putin continued and he said, I, I asked the FSB to write to the CIA and inquire about how did this talk go down? Did the CIA have this talk with the president? And the CIA didn't answer. And then the second time they didn't answer. And then apparently the third time they answered, we're not going to stop this. And it, this is this is this is serious, serious news in a way, because it, it proves that the president of the United States is but a figurehead of a more sinister grouping that's running the United States and the Washington Empire. And uh, that means that whatever the president says or whatever Washington says can't, can't be trusted. Uh, and of course, she knows this. And of course, Putin knows this. And of course, all the world leaders probably know this. But um, unfortunately, I'm guessing the American public don't know this because uh, they're not doing much about it, are they now? So in that sense, I hope that Putin's speech, especially the parts where he tells the truth about who is actually running the United States, is broadly, by way of social media, sent across the United States and reaches the voters in the United States. One can always hope. Yes, I mean, I think the point about uh, the figurehead of the president not actually being in charge of anything has never been more true uh, than with the current Popinjay, Biden. I mean, he's barely in control of his own limbs, let alone anything else. Um, and it's quite obvious that, you know, other figures behind the scenes are pulling the strings. Uh, coming back to the CIA, of course, um, that's who Putin identified as being behind the Nord Stream disaster. The only way to describe it, the 2022 explosions. Um, of course, it's still being investigated and Sweden has now dropped its investigation, saying it lacks jurisdiction, but it handed over its evidence to the German investigators. Uh, Putin was pressed for evidence by uh, Carlson and said, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities, because there may be many people interested, but not all of them capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. Now, uh, again, this is one of these incidents that's been memory hold by Western media. Yes, that's, that's, that's... It's as if it didn't happen, you know, a tremendous environmental catastrophe and one with disastrous consequences for European economies, particularly the German economy. But uh, after it became clear 
that the Russians had not inflicted this self-inflicted wound, uh, all, all interests seemed to be dropped. Do you have any idea, you're in Sweden, Mats, what the Swedish investigators might have discovered? Well, I, I, I wish I did. And uh, I, I, just going back a, a bit, I, I love the part where in this in the interview where Putin told Tucker that the CIA, the organization you once tried to join, <laughs> uh, I believe he said, which was which was uh, immensely funny at face value. Uh, and then he 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 said that uh, well well you you didn't do it because perhaps you had an alibi but the CIA didn't and it's 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 as you said that uh, once once it was almost once it was established that the point couldn't really be the blame couldn't really be pointed towards Russia all interest dropped no one was uh, interested in investigating it further and as for the Swedish. A preliminary investigation. I have sent for for the preliminary investigation, uh, and I'll have to see how much of it is uh, classified. But hopefully, I will be able to get some of it uh, sent to me, and uh, I will be able to to perhaps get back to you on on uh, any findings. But um, the forensics, the Swedish uh, submarines were there. That much we know. So I believe that the forensics are solid. However, what these forensics show, and if if or they have been tampered with or not, and if it's classified or not, uh, that time will tell. But currently, I believe, like you said, the German investigators are now sitting on this information. And uh, perhaps they will try and create a scenario where this overly ri ri ridiculously uh, ridiculous theory about the the boat called andromeda was responsible will be the main theory i don't know i i'm but i'm sure everyone in europe or all the countries investigating it in europe just they definitely do not want to point the blame towards america or towards any undersea submarines pertaining to norway or the united states navy for obvious reasons so, so we we will have to see about this. Uh, oh, uh, can I can I continue? Please do. Yes, because I just remembered there was also a very very important part in this about uh, um, pertaining to the fact that you can't trust the United States, and I, I think you remain, rem remember the Russian withdrawal from Kiev in during the spring of twenty twenty. And it's been told that Russia withdrew because uh, they were forced to. H however, in the interview with Tucker Carlson, Putin was very clear that the Russian retreat was done after urgings from Western mediators to make it easier to achieve a negotiated settlement between Russia and Ukraine. But instead, what happened was that the Ukrainian side broke off negotiations uh, directly after the Russian forces left Kiev. So, so it was clear linking a clear linking of the events that at least I never heard before. The official Western version is that Russia retreated when they realized it was a fool's errand to try and take Kiev, and the Russian side 
then use the peace argument as a smokescreen to hide beha- behind. Now, if, and I, you can only say if, because you never know, it's after all, I'm moving in the gray area and it's geopolitics and you have to remember everyone kind of tries to make the truth a bit better. But if the Russian narrative is, is true, then all trust between Russia on the one side and Ukraine and the West must be totally broken. First, the Russian abandonment of the Minsk agreement, and then this declared deception. I don't think Russia will ever again show good faith first. That's for certain. So, so, so um, it's uh, it's a really serious claim that that Russia makes because the deception, the level of deception doing this uh, is uh, that definitely hurts diplomacy. It it definitely hurts the Georgia in favor of the war war. That's uh, that risks dragging all of us down into World War Three. So once again, the Western powers have overplayed their hand, betting on Russia being weak. And you never, never bet on Russia being weak. Which, no, I, think this inter- which I think this interview proved, that the Russian leader compared to the leader of the free world, Biden, it, it's, 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 not even, it's not even a competition. It's just a technical knockout. Russia is much better yes. prepared for any conflict that might arise. So the West just needs to start negotiating and they need to do it yesterday. Well, I I agree with you. If it was a boxing match, it would be deemed a mismatch. There's no doubt about it. Uh, And Putin was at pains to point out what uh, he felt was the deterioration in the quality of American leadership, even going so far as to say that uh, George Bush had actually impressed him, uh, which I was very surprised to say and to see. Um, uh, and that since then, uh, the Americans seem to have got progressively worse. I thought, though, that where Putin scored most heavily from a propaganda point of view was in talking about the denazification of Ukraine, because uh, this is one of those subjects that Western media have constantly tried to avoid, tried to play down. Uh, Ukraine's neo-Nazi links and brigades and ideology. Um, And uh, Putin said uh, that the Russian invasion was justified in order to denazify the country. Uh, And that the conversation he had with Zelensky, I thought was fascinating. He said that Zelensky's father fought against the fascists during uh, the Second World War. And I once talked to him about this. He said, Volodya, What are you doing? Why are you supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine today when your father fought against fascism? He was a frontline soldier. I thought those were very pointed remarks. Yeah, yes, they were. And and, and the history, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a complex history. And, uh, I think now, basically, I think the, the powers that be in Ukraine are, uh, unwisely using this uh, the old Nazi soldiers and they're re- reinventing them as freedom fighters and the effects of this they go so far as as we saw in Canada 
they go so far that an, an old Nazi is in, in the Canadian Parliament rebranded as a freedom fighter and applauded by the politicians of Canada, as happened a few months ago. So it's uh, the Ukrainian will to try and unify their uh, created nation has misfired and it's basically become a, a hot hotspot for for neo-nazi fighters to go there and and try to reassert the fourth reich sadly uh, and uh, it it just points to whatever happens in the future ukraine is going to unfortunately be a failed state for many many years to come and and uh, as putin said it, it's not something he welcomes because russia uh, Initially, I mean, Russia has always welcomed Ukraine. They even said it's fine by us if Ukraine joins the European Union because that will have economic effects on Russia as well. Uh, so it's never been about the economy. It's always been about the security. But since the CIA coup and since Ukraine went um, uh, full NATO, Russia has had to act in a way that's actually detrimental to Russia's economic interest, but its main interest, which always is security, which Putin realizes, means that he has had to do this. So it's you don't have any real winners in this. You just have losers. But the ones that created the situation are trying to shift the blame towards Putin. And I think this interview squarely put the blame back where it belongs within the western uh, government's handling of the situation since uh, 20, 2008 and forward finally Mats, um for all that uh, some western observers are decrying tucker for having gone in the first place or saying that it was a missed opportunity and uh, belittling tucker's own geopolitical knowledge uh, my inclination would be to suggest that, if anything, simply because two people are talking, uh, it has advanced the cause of peace. I think some of the fake narratives of the war party were undermined. Um, and in terms of uh, Putin's presentation, because he so rarely ever gets in front of Western audiences, uh, for all his faults, and he's no choir boy, uh, he nevertheless came across as uh, a rational human being with a good grasp of history and current events, even if you don't agree with him on everything. So I think in terms of attempts to demonize him, um, those have been well and truly put on the back burner. Most, most, most certainly, most certainly they have. And uh, yes. Hello. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there, Mats. Thank you very much for joining us. Swedish ah, okay. geopolitical analyst Mats Nielsen. We're going to take a short break now. When we come back, I'll be joined by Matthew Lee of Inner City Press. And we'll be looking at the latest in Donald Trump's legal battles as he bids to become once again President of the United States. We'll be right back after this short break. TNT's Jeremy Nell. Nice comment here from Rebecca. She says the youngest people um, I work with are a bit more mature, but their interactions with the public is stifled. And she's referring to the excessive use of cell phones and social media and how it's making them so antisocial also. 
the business is open six days a week. One of his staff members formally requested that they shouldn't, you know, that they could they be given permission not to have to work on Wednesdays so that they could help at the dog shelter. Now, as you know, I'm a dog lover. I have hunting dogs. I've got dogs coming out of my ears, my Malinois. And this dog, this Malinois, is bright even by Malinois standards. She can do crossword puzzles. Is lying under my desk at the moment, feeling sorry for herself because she's just come on heat for the first time and she's completely bewildered. She doesn't know why she's bleeding to death. It's not about whether it's a good or a bad thing to work at animal shelters. That's a delightful thing. It's a noble thing to do. But who in their right minds goes to their boss and says, would you mind? I'd rather not work on Wednesdays if it's okay because I've got other priorities in a, in a town down the road. Jeremy now on today's News Talk TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. CO2 sustains all life on Earth, but now it's in long-term decline. We face the return of an ice age. We mandate that the truth be told. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. And welcome back to the program with me, Basil Valentine, in for Patrick Henningsen. Today, Friday, the 9th of February, 2024. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined by one of Patrick's regular contributors, Matthew Lee of Inner City Press, who is in the Lower Manhattan Courthouse in New York, an expert on all things litigious in the United States. I've got one burning question for you, Matthew. Are Are Trump's legal troubles going to scupper his chances in November or will he prevail over what seems to be a sustained campaign of lawfare by his political opponents? Well, it's a it's a complicated question. There's a lot of moving parts. I, I actually I try with Patrick to cover some Trump, but other other legal cases. But this this week, Trump is, has has uh, has taken over everything. Um, yesterday was a Supreme Court argument. This is sort of the first barrier. This was a, this would be a more serious barrier than whether people um, uh, would vote for a convicted felon or not. It seems to me one of the questions. There's no bar about a felon being president, by the way. And there's also no bar on somebody serving as president from prison. So be aware of that. Although there are many Republican voters who said they would vote for him today, but if he's convicted of a felony, they won't. Whether that could change based on how it plays out, I don't know. But the, the first and a sort of an existential threat to his candidacy was this decision by the Colorado uh, to take him off the ballot. And this was followed by a couple of other states basically saying, and this is it, it may be of interest. This goes back to the Civil War, as many things in the U.S. do. Um, after the Civil War, there was a uh, 14th Amendment, which most people think of as being, you know, ending slavery and providing due process. But it also had a Section 3, which said that no insurrectionist could serve in office. There was a procedure to get your insurrectionist tag uh, removed. And it, it definitely seemed clear that if you were part of the Confederacy, you were an insurrectionist. And so it was an attempt to not allow 
basically they thought that Jefferson Davis, who'd been the, the head of the Confederacy, might actually become president of the United States. So they wanted to bar that. Now, it's being used now um, to say that given Trump's role in the January 6th uh, attempt to stop the steal and and and, and uh, protest or or actually stop the voting in, in the Capitol, that he's an insurrectionist. Of course, that hasn't been found by any court. But Colorado said there's enough evidence. We're taking you off the ballot. So the Trump campaign sued. And yesterday were the arguments in the Supreme Court. I think most I, I actually covered them. I live tweeted them and they were kind of uh, it seemed even judges that are that are not Trump appointees at all were sus- suspicious about the right of one state to basically just take somebody off the ballot. One judge, Gorsuch, said, you know, a, another state might just want to take the other candidate, meaning Biden. They could take him off the primary ballot and leave this guy, Dean Phillips, as the winner. So they're they're going to rule. I don't know how soon, but pretty soon. So that was the first one. I do. What I want to tell you is rather than just go for the home run ball of what's going to happen, this was followed by some absolutely amazing Normal, uh, uh, an ama- it was an amazing day, honestly. I, I, I had to drop some of my usual court co- coverage because after the Supreme Court argument, Trump spoke sort of by you know, on the fly from Mar-a-Lago in Florida on his way flying to Nevada. For a, They were doing a caucus out there, which he won like 98 to 1. Nikki Haley wasn't even in it. But he, he commented on the Supreme Court. This is, this is how intertwined the courts and the pol- politics have become. He commented on the case that it was beautiful. It was a beautiful argument. He doesn't he, he trusts that they'll do the right thing. And then in the mid afternoon, I'm, I'm going to set this all up and then we can get into like what's happened to America in, in mid afternoon. A special counsel that was appointed to look into Joe Biden's taking documents to his garage about Afghanistan and other classified documents said that they won't bring charges. But the, what was key is the reason he said he said if we were to bring charges, a jury would see a, an old, well-intentioned man with a faltering memory. So I didn't, this gave rise to like on the right, people saying he, he's, in, he's unfit to serve. If he's unfit to be put to trial, he's unfit to be president. And at 7.45, Biden did a press conference, impromptu, hadn't been planned in advance. Um, and, and basically tried to prove that he's competent. And it didn't go well. He, he said on Gaza, he said, I talked to, I, to, to get the gate of aid open to Gaza, I talked to the president of Mexico, Sisi. This is a famous line that he said. And this gave rise to a lot of, you know, anyone, it's a malapropism, but it, it seemed to be more fundamental. So and this is the point I, I was actually trying to get to. For some reason, I, I usually stick to the courts, but I was live tweeting this Biden thing because I thought he would talk about the Supreme Court decision and say, you know, he's an insurrectionist, should be taken off. Instead, this gave rise to, among Biden supporters, outrage that, that, Somehow he was being made to that, that just by transcribing what he said, somehow he's being made to look bad. This was very unfair. And I, I want to just say, not that it matters, but I do Trump's things, too. And he says some pretty, you know, he very quickly says, like, all migrants are criminals or from mental institutions, which people think, you know, some are, but not all are. So whatever people say things. But to call the president of, of, of Egypt, the president of Mexico was, was a big gaffe. And so I think you're going to see ripples from this. So you basically are left with 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 the possibility of a showdown in November between possibly a by then convicted felon, because the felony could also be in New York State, where he's charged with doctoring business records to pay off a porn star uh, to not undermine his 2016 run. That could be it's a, it's a light felony, but it's a felony. You could have a stand. You could have a showdown between a convicted felon 
and a, a an apparently ex, you know significantly senile um, incumbent. And it's it's amazing that this is certainly maybe militarily, maybe economically, the most powerful country on earth, and these are the two options. But it appears that that's what we're headed toward. Yes, it certainly does. Um, you know, Trump doth bestride the Republican Party like a colossus. Uh, totally. If I can use that paraphrase. Um, uh, and it seems that he's bulletproof when it comes to these legal cases. Uh, obviously, he's got his own army of lawyers and the funds to pay them all. And um, one way Sometimes or another, not very good lawyers. I, I just want to just for the for the purposes of this, there is a lot of his lawyer in the Supreme Court was extreme was was extremely well versed and had done many Supreme Court decisions. So maybe he's getting smarter now and choosing. I don't want to say that the only good lawyers are kind of established. You know, you might be against the swamp. But when you're dealing with the courts, you kind of kind of want to go swamp if you if you want to win. And in, in for big, example, a, you need a big yeah. swamp creature to fight the other swamp creatures. I mean, you, you at least want to have somebody going to yeah. take on King Kong. Yeah, yeah, or or Mothra. You you his mistake <laughs> sort of in 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 the in the case hearing had against uh, uh, E. Jean Carroll, one that resulted in eighty three million dollar verdict against him for sexual assault or defamation about sexual assault. Is that his lawyers? I personally, I thought they were kind of brass. They were very Trumpian. You know, they they kept fighting with the judge. They kept objecting to everything, but it didn't. It apparently didn't didn't do much with the jury. And so they're saying that he's having second thoughts. That he might be anti swamp in in at least most public things in terms of like who he embraces on the campaign trail. But you want to might want to get a little bit more swamp on your legal team. And the, and the Supreme Court one did it. But so it, it's. There is another case pending, which is, and people are very interested in it. It's a New York State civil fraud case. Again, this won't disqualify him. Nor will a felony conviction. I just, I want to say that he de- he does bestrawed the GOP, but the two primaries so far, or the caucus in Iowa and the primary in New Hampshire, exit polling of Republican voters have said yes, they support him now. But if he, somehow, I, I don't know if it's just a kind of a palliative to themselves. They say if he's convicted of a felony, that's when they step off the Trump train. But it'll be too late if he has the, if he has the nomination. What are they going to do? Vote for Biden? So you, it might be the lowest turnout election ever. I'm predicting a, a under 50 percent, maybe under 40 percent, because even the people voting, many of them are saying they're, they're holding their nose. There are definitely very fervent Trump supporters. And I, 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 I converse with them routinely. And there I find them actually kind of this is the, something I wanted to I was planning. The difference. And I try to, I just, if you just do the, if you just live tweet kind of the transcript, not opinionating, but just like, here's what these guys are saying. Here's what the court debate is. You end up getting feedback from both sides. I found yesterday that the the Biden defenders kind of much more like angry. I mean, I think maybe they're feeling, I don't know what it is, but they seem to demand a kind of a, an airbrushing of their candidate. Like, don't make him look bad. It's, It's cruel to actually transcribe what he says. Whereas it's exactly what I do with Trump. And the funny thing is that the Trump supporters love what he says. The Trump detractors say it's all garble. It's just word salad. It doesn't mean anything. He's he's just a con man. And it's, it's based on the same. I mean, again, that's politics. It's based on the same thing. The same thing took place in the trial, the Carroll trial, where the Trump lawyer, Alina Haba, would fight with the judge. She'd say, Your Honor, this is so unfair. My client is. And he would say, sit down, Ms. Haba. The Trump people said, you see, the court system is unfair revolution you know and the and the and the trump haters said what a bozo lawyer they should all be put in jail so 
this is the what we're what, this is where we're at in, in the USA in, in 2024. Sorry to, to go on, but it just it's it's it stirs me up. Well, it's it, it's the most bizarre electoral cycle in modern American history, surely. Um, I think it's true. Uh, and uh, I'm from a much less litigious country in the United Kingdom. Uh, the idea that somebody would get $83 million on the defamation case is absolutely off the charts. Can, can you enlighten me as to where American courts get that kind of figure from? Sure. Well, th most of that was punitive damages. And I think I think the difference here, right. the, I, I was actually, you know, and I, I guess it's allowed. I mean, let's say you were suing Exxon, right? You say, so Exxon poisoned a town and 20 people died. The lawyer would say, this is why Exxon would probably settle the case, because at trial, a lawyer would say to the to the to the jury, Exxon has billions of dollars. This is just a footnote. It's just a rounding error. If more than just compensating the, fam the 20 families who lost their breadwinner, if you want to really send a message to Exxon, you better clean up and not do it again. You have to hit them where it hurts. And if they're a 40 billion dollar corporation, you've got to deliver a verdict of a billion dollars. And that's happened sometimes. And sometimes appeals courts say that's too big. That's you've gone too. It's you see, there's two kinds of damages. There's compensatory, like what did it actually cost the person damaged? And then you allow, which maybe other countries don't. And this is why we have such a litigious society, because it can be very pro it can be very lucrative to be a plaintiff's lawyer when people are killed by a train exploding in Ohio or smoking cigarettes. Right. Or there, there's going to be start being cases about about uh, social media use. You know, you turn my kid into a zombie. There's a lot of there's a lot of sports betting is a new is a new frontier for, for mass litigation. Basically saying you, you addicted people and it cost them money. And then you go beyond. You say you you hurt people to the tune. In, in the case of Eugene Carroll, they said that it would cost her 12 million dollars. It's a lot of money to repair her reputation. I don't know how they came up with that number. They had an expert. They had a. It's incredible, right? And, and they had they had some precedents. They said Martha Stewart, if you remember, she was like a a a, a broadcaster about uh, home improvement, very a, a big. And she was it's convicted of, of of insider trading. When she got out of jail, she paid somebody millions of dollars to kind of rehabilitate her image. So they seem to have this. Although the, their expert didn't admitted that she'd never done a reputation restoration campaign, you know. But so that was that's how you get. I've heard that in the UK, though, it's very easy to sue for defamation. You, maybe you just don't win much. But but that that's why people don't publish stuff there is because it's you don't have even if it's true, you could lose. Do you tell me? Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, fortunately, I've never been sued and I've never had cause to sue anybody for defamation. Sure. Um, yeah, you don't win anything like that kind of sum of money. Uh, right. You know, it's just, some heavy your it's just for your Right. Yeah, there have been some heavy libel payouts in Britain in the mm -hmm. past, where, where uh, in particular, Private Eye, the satirical magazine, used to take mm -hmm. delight in pushing the libel laws as close as it can. Um, uh, anything in particular else there in New York, Matthew, that's taken your attention this week? What else is at the, towards the top of your inbox? I will say, you know, there, there's actually there's. I didn't know we'd get. There is a there is a case that's sucking all the air, all the all the uh, oxygen out of the the New York City political realm, and it's a it's 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 a you can probably find these videos online. It was an incident that took place about ten days ago in Times Square. As as you may know, New York City has become the host for many migrants, and it's a very it's a very political issue. The Republicans want to close the border. 
they say the Democrats want people to come in so they could be naturalized and vote for them in the future. In any event, there's a lot of people crossing the border. And and the governor of Texas said, we're not going to be the only ones suffering here. So he puts them on buses and they're bused to New York. At first, you know, people in New York were like, Im- immigrants are welcome here. And they started putting people up in hotels that were empty because of, they were emptied out in COVID. So in a way, it almost helped the economy. It was sort of like, if, if, if New York could get federal money for all of this, it would be economically, if not, if not safety wise. And this is the weird thing. Like, I don't, I didn't know it would play out this way. I'm totally willing to accept that there are people fleeing Venezuela, either because they feel they're oppressed or more likely because there's better economic opportunities in the United States. This is the history of the United States. People come, you don't have to be waving a political refugee flag, but it does seem that some that Trump says, this is, I'm going to tie it's, it's all that you'll see how it plays the two play together. Trump says it's that countries are flushing their toilet, as he puts it, and emptying out their jails, uh, their jails and mental institutions into the United States. And this 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 did happen under Jimmy Carter. You may remember that Cuba at one point, Jimmy Carter was so human rightsy that he said, we are a beacon of freedom. We'll accept anyone. And and at that time, Fidel Castro was like, oh, really? So they took like not just political prisoners, but just our, every country has its own criminals. And they just dumped them in Florida. And, and, and Jimmy Carter at first was like, this is a, this is incredible. This is a, this is like 1959. They're fleeing communism. And it was like, no, no, these guys are setting up massive drug rings in Florida. And so I can't say that's what's happening in New York, but there's a famous, this is something that happened. The police tried to arrest. They said that these guys were robbing people in Times Square. And it turned out that they were kind of a, a group of about eight young men, mostly from Venezuela. But the, the cops from the footage seems to have known them as kind of like a problem on the street and told them to move on. They didn't. They talked back. They tried to arrest one of them, whereupon he struggled. The two cops went to the ground and the seven other guys came up from behind and started kicking the cops in the face, in the back. And this is something that even as a person covering the South Bronx, it doesn't really happen here. You definitely have gunplay. Cops get shot sometimes, but you don't have a kind of a, a feeling that you could just kick, you know, like, I don't know. Maybe that's how it works over there. So people were shocked. Even people that are very liberal or very pro-immigrant or pro-hospitality or charitable or religious people, they were like, this is too much. And this is where the politics come into it. Recently, kind of in the wake of the George Floyd protests after the, the murder, and I'll say the murder of George Floyd in Minnesota by the police, New York State passed very liberal bail laws. It's basically the presumption is no one is held in prison after arrest pending trial. So these guys who were caught on film kicking the cops in Times Square were released. And many of them took advantage of another New York City program, which is that New York City doesn't want to have to pay to put these people up forever. So they're willing to give them free transportation to go elsewhere in the US, which is exactly what Joe, Governor Abbott is doing, right? So these, these particular people caught on film kicking, kicking the police in the face, fled New York City on government paid bus tickets and are now can't be found anywhere. So it's a huge, it's a huge fiasco for the district attorney, who's the one going after Trump. Everything comes together. Alvin Bragg, he's under fire, even by the by the Democratic governor of the state for having let them go. He then responded yesterday with a press release showing that the cops were a little out of line and how they arrested the guy, which I think it's true. I look at the video, they you can't hear the sounds. You don't know what was said, but they definitely grabbed the guy. Next thing you know, he's on the ground. But this still doesn't legally or even kind of just to the eye, it doesn't justify the guys. I think the cops had no idea that would happen. 
like it's like a different culture sort of you know and i think that there is there's now all kinds of like new york post rupert murdoch's newspaper stories about migrants stealing phones and using them to access your bank information to buy a swimming pool in ecuador venezuela so there's a lot of and this may or may not be true but you the, the video is true it is true that that outraged, I guess, at the arrest of their friend in Times Square, they kicked police from behind and then were let out of jail, never jail, were let out prior to any jail and fled and will never be caught. And so this is New York. This is New York politics right now. Everyone is trying to like, like back away. The, 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 the DA is doubling down and saying, I let them go because the cops had acted badly. The mayor is trying to say, I'll get to the bottom of this because nobody wants to and, and so there's a now in, this is a just in the suburbs of New York, there is a, a, a race on Tuesday of this week to replace George Santos, who was a congressperson elected that then it turned out that he lied. His whole campaign, like he said he was Jewish, he was not Jewish. He said he said a lot of things. I mean, it was like an he didn't lose his office. He was impeached. He was actually forced out of the House of Representatives because he, he, he made claims. It turned out that he used campaign money to buy Botox, to buy, like, it's a, it's an incredible case. George Santos, he's still being on, uh, prosecuted in the Eastern District. So you have a race now between a very swamp-like politician called Tom Swazi. He used to be the Nassau, not, Nassau is like Long Island, it's suburban, dish, uh, uh, um, uh, county executive. He's a Democrat. And they have, you'll love this, the Republicans have come up with a kind of a test tube candidate. An Ethiopian Jew, an Ethiopian Jewish woman named Maza uh, uh, Pillup, who was in the Israeli Defense Force, and this is an issue. So it's a twofer in New York. She's number one pro-Israel, which is which is very popular, other than in a relatively small fringe, but very vocal fringe of very progressive people that are pro-Palestine. Even liberals in New York, many of them are pro. Uh, it, it, I don't want to get into the religion of it, but it's it's you will not find a politician in New York City that's pro pro uh, even like, uh, you know, um, a boss and, and 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 Palestinian authority other than like AOC. There'd be one. So Swazi is like, I'm just as tough on Israel. He flew to Israel and he's also saying that he's tough on migration and that he would actually get a deal done, whereas Maza is, would just be pro Trump. And the allegation now is that Trump is the one letting the migrants in. Because he blew up the immigration bill. I don't know if you heard about that, but the Democrats and some moderate Republicans came up with a bill to increase funding for border security. And Trump let it be known that any real Republican should vote against it. That's when you say he's astride it, it's not just the polling numbers. He's basically at this point controlling what the Republicans in Congress do more than he used to. He's because his polling numbers, if you're polling that high, no, most Republicans are not going to cross you because they're going to get primary They're you know. So he's blown up. There's going to be no immigration legislation between now and the presidential election. And what he's trying to say is that it will only get fixed if I'm elected. So it's this is this is how it all kind of pieces together. It's a jigsaw puzzle of 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 uh, third rail red meat issues um, <laughs> with a lot of like bit players, you know, caught in the flotsam. And do you think any worthwhile legislation at all is going to get through Congress between now and November? It seems like it's just no about chance. the most times. No chance. No. And the no only thing that will be done. done to, well, there'll be no chance of anything being done to help the American people. No, not at all. I think the only thing that will get done is aid to Israel and probably aid to Ukraine. That's the, it, they, you know, they got linked, linked together and, 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 
the Republicans, here's what it is. Many Republicans are suspect of continued and increased aid to, to Ukraine. Um, they have a sort, you know, a sort of America first. They they believe that there's a lot of corruption there. So all many of these things are true. They also believe, which is a very America first position, that that the Europeans are not carrying, including, I guess, the UK, but definitely Germany. Germany is a big bugaboo for Trump. The idea is that they're not really carrying their weight, that America is pouring in billions to defend Ukraine from Russia and Europe, which is much closer and probably at greater threat, is not carrying enough weight. So the Republicans have decided they're not, they don't really want to keep funding the Ukraine war, but they do want to fund Israel. So the Democrats who control the Senate package the two together and say, you can't have one without the other. You can't help Israel without helping Ukraine. That's been now split apart. I think that they'll get both. I think they'll get Israel aid first and then something for Ukraine. But it's not going to be what Ukraine thought it would be. And it's from what I've heard that the, 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 you would know better than me, but the, 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 the on the ground military is, is starting to sort of turn in the Russian direction more than it was. Whether that, may, that, that just may be, you know, something said to get more money, but it's, it seems to be happening. And I think I have to say there is no question that Russia has benefited from the whole, from what Hamas did and Israel's response to it, because all of the focus, for example, at the UN, which is an organization I despise and am banned from, but at the UN, you don't even hear about Ukraine anymore. Like Ukraine was the flavor of the month for a year. It's totally off. It's like gone because the 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 the, the Palestine and that a genocide is being created by Israel and is the only thing that you hear in the UN. So it's it's great for Russia, and Russia is actually able to position itself as as the as as the defender of human rights. They're the, for example, recently when the U.S. did its 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 uh, strikes in Syria and Iraq to respond to the killing of the three American soldiers at Tower 22 in Jordan by Iran-backed militias, um, Russia called an immediate meeting and said, America's violating uh, international law. This was an attack on civilians. This is destabilizing. And, and it's getting a lot of traction. A lot of countries in the middle that were starting to be strong-armed into like the pro-Ukraine position are now swinging back the other way. So it, I guess politics is corrupt everywhere, but it's particularly toxic right now in the United States. That I can say. I couldn't agree with you more. Finally, Matthew, very quickly, believe it or not, the only other candidate in single-figure odds to become next president of the United States is Michelle Obama. She's seven oh. to one. You only get mm -hmm. seven or nine times your money if, sure. if you back Michelle Obama. Do you think there's any chance that they're going to ditch Biden over the next few months? He may I mean, ditch himself. I mean, he I, keeps making these yeah. gaffes. He can't go on if he carries on gaffing like this. I agree. I think because there are people saying he's not competent today, but it's hard to imagine that's going to be any better in four years if he were reelected. Exactly. I, think that, I mean, I don't know. People dream. And I think he had, he feels, he said yesterday, I'm the most qualified person. It, he'll only leave if he wants to leave, unless, unless I'm missing something. I think that you know he's he, he's earned it. he's earned the right to to babble and 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 drool through the next four years that's the campaign slogan it's not a winner but it might it might just win it could <laughs> matthew lee from inner city press thank you so much for joining us sure i'm basil valentine in for patrick henningson uh, i'll be back on monday and have a great weekend see you all then